I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is WBEZ's Weekly News Recap. Happy Friday. We made it through another jam-packed week. And if you can't remember what happened in the news over the last few days, well, you're in the right place. Coming up, the great resignation is hitting Chicago City Hall. Fifth Ward Alderman Leslie Hairston is going to be retiring at the end of her current term. Fifteenth Ward Alderman Raymond Lopez is proposing creation of a municipal charter commission. After more than 20 years, Chicago's first openly gay alderman is retiring from the city council. This morning, 44th Ward Alderman Tom Tunney announced he will step down at the end of his term in May. Police Superintendent David Brown announces a new time-off policy for officers. Police Superintendent David Brown announced Tuesday of a new policy that will help officers take time off. And migrants from Texas arrive in Chicago. Shame on Governor Abbott. What he is doing is immoral, unpatriotic, and it defies the values of who we are as Americans. Our panel today is WVON commentator and attorney Kimberly Agoen. Aaron Hegarty, City Hall reporter for The Daily Line, and John Byrne, senior political reporter for the Chicago Tribune. In the last week, two more longtime city council members announced that they are not seeking re-election. Uh, Southside Alderwoman Leslie Hairston and Tom Tunney on the north side. So let's start with Leslie Hairston, uh, who's a member of the Pro- Progressive Caucus. What are the highlights you would say from her 24 years on city council? Well, she she voted against the parking meter uh, lease, which she will remind everybody about once a week. And, you know, she's understandably proud of it. It didn't stop it from happening. But uh, but she did take that vote against it and and has been a sort of an outspoken progressive voice for a progressive part of the city for a long time and has never been afraid to argue with mayors about budget specifics, about about their initiatives, about public safety. Um, and so the council will be missing that sort of really well-informed kind of progressive voice. There are a lot more progressives now, but she's kind yeah. of one of the one of the elder statesmen of that of that movement. Kimberly, what do you think Hairston will be most remembered for? Um, I think, you know, people's memories are kind of short. So I think one of the things that she'll be remembered for is uh, being pushed into a runoff the last time that she ran, which she barely won under 200 votes, if I'm not mistaken, Mm -hmm. against someone who was not a politician at all. I think that she will also be remembered for the fight to get some type of agreement with the Obama Center in her community. Right, yeah. Um, after that runoff election, she was kind of pushed toward actually making some type of agreement because initially before she was not for any type of benefits agreement for that area. So I think that those are two of the things. Um, that is a ward that has got a lot of potential, used to have a very strong shopping corridor on 71st Street East. Um, which is almost non-existent now. If you'll recall, there was a grocery store that was missing there for about five to six years. She did finally pull that through. Um, but yeah, the, the, she a lot. Her, yeah, a lot over two decades. I mean, she worked as an assistant attorney general. She had a, a private law practice before being elected alderwoman back in 1999. Do you have any speculations, Kimberly, as to what she'll do next? No, and I don't have any speculation for any of 
the um, aldermen who have all run from this office. <laughs> it seems like, I mean, you have one who's in the federal penitentiary. We know where he'll be for the time being. We know Carrie Austin has been, um, she is under indictment. So her ward is completely mapped out. There is no 34th ward on the south side of Chicago anymore. We don't know what's going to happen with Ed Burke. But the alderman like Michelle Smith, who said that she, you know, it's just time to do something else because she's been in for a long time. Uh, Kappelman, Osterman, Tunney, all of these yeah. aldermen, what are they going to do? I want to turn to Tom Tunney because we, we mentioned him earlier. John, he's also announced, as, as Kimberly mentioned, that he's leaving city council. This is after nearly 20 years. Talk about his legacy. What's that going to be? First gay, openly gay mayor yeah. on the on the council. And, and he's, you know, he's obviously one of the higher profile uh, wards in the city. He's got Wrigley Field. He's got Wrigleyville. He's uh, he's the owner of Ann Sather Restaurants, and uh, so he, I think that he would say his legacy is that that he's done a lot to kind of solidify that that neighborhood. He's got an AIDS garden that just opened up there, and he's been you know the, the business owners in that area really like him. The the Ricketts's, the owners of the Cubs, tried to take him out last time with uh, with their own candidate, and he. Uh, he beat back that challenge pretty handily. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he just sold his building building for $10 million or so, and yeah. I imagine he's sitting around saying, why do I want to keep doing this? <laughs> Although he may run for mayor, so Yeah, let's we'll talk see. about that. Let's <laughs> we'll talk about, did he shed light on why he's leaving city council? He says it's just not a great place to work anymore. He thinks that the 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 divisiveness that has taken over in the council and uh, sort of some of the difficulties he says working with the current administration of Mayor Lori Lightfoot have made it difficult to accomplish a lot of the things that he wanted to do. He's got a, a ward with a lot of people living in very expensive houses who are seeing their property taxes go up. And they're pretty upset that their taxes are going up while they say their neighborhoods get less safe. They want to see more police officers. And he's finding it harder to deliver on those things. And yeah. so says, why, why, why keep doing this? Why keep doing this? What are your thoughts, Kimberly? What's, what's he going to be remembered for? Uh, everything that John just mentioned, um, definitely that. And also just for having this extremely strong business background. If you've ever had a conversation with him, he grew up in this. I think his, his father... Um, was in real estate or something. I don't remember. This was many years ago that I had a conversation with him about it. So um, being very strong in with with feet in the LGBTQ community, as well as the business community, really building up his neighborhood, which, you know, a lot of the neighborhoods probably want to take a page from whatever it was that he was doing in his area. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about this, the speculation that he might be running for mayor. Yeah, I don't know. I'm interested to see um, what he says like in the coming weeks because I, you know, I talked to him and I, my understanding was like either go big or go home, run mm-hmm. for mayor, or retire. But um, I think there's still, you know, plenty of time for anyone to jump into the mayoral, mayoral race. And um, I don't know that we have anyone from that area of the city yet who has like announced that they're, you know, a strong contender to run for mayor. So oh, that's true. Um, I think, yeah, it'll be interesting. And I'm, I also want to see who he, supports um if he doesn't run who he is kind of endorsing or who he gets That's a good point he would year. shake he would shake up the mayor's race though if he got in i mean i'm not totally. i'm not here to i'm not here to you know lay odds on anything but <laughs> but like you know pro business guy who would who would get a lot of that lakefront vote a lot of the lgbtq votes would would fall in with behind him mm-hmm. and, and and also he doesn't have to wear the jacket for the public safety issues that have happened right. and a lot of the people in his community 
for the first time in life mm-hmm. are experiencing violence right. and crime yeah. rampant in the middle of their street in broad daylight. So that is something that would differentiate him from the current mayor. For sure. Tani said, quote, there's a lot of acrimony on in the council. A lot of people feel like that it's not a good place to work these days. Is that becoming a common sentiment, Erin? I think it is. And I think as we're getting closer to the election or as this year progresses, we're getting closer to budget season. I think aldermen are saying that maybe they felt that before, but they're, you know, vocalizing that now. And, and we see that with close votes or kind of... Um, you know, shenanigans that happen <laughs> during council meetings. One of my favorite words. <laughs> but you know, but everyone, they're making it sound like Richard M. Daly and Rahm Emanuel were just these sweethearts to work with. And I'm just, I'm just, I remember those administrations and I don't remember that. It just maybe because they had more perception of power or something that people didn't buck up against them. But everyone is speaking out now. Yeah. No one really spoke out about the attitudes of former mayors. They, they Those guys were were rough people to work for. And I think it's really unfair to paint this current mayor as someone who's a rough person to yeah. work for. The thing that they did do, though, is Rahm Emanuel would come in and say, okay, look, I want this vote to be 45 to 5. What do you need mm-hmm. in your ward? And I will just give that to you in exchange for your vote. That's a and, fair point. And she won't do it. And and, and, and Mayor Lightfoot has said over and over again, mm-hmm. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to trade a, 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 a zoning on some development for your vote on my budget. I'm just not going to do it. If the budget passes 26, 24, that's fine with me. Whereas Emmanuel and Daly were like, I want it to be 50 nothing and I will – I will trade anything you want (laughs) to get to over 45 votes. And so that makes it a lot different. Yeah. Well, we were also chatting about Southside Alderwoman Leslie Hairston. Your thoughts on her future, Erin? I don't know. Um, I don't think she's going to go quietly. Um, Just in this past past week, there was a a budget hearing on the CPD um, budget, kind of looking forward to next year. And she was the most vocal alderman, I'd say, about um, thinking it's wrong for CPD to come to aldermen and ask them to use their discretionary funding for surveillance cameras. Um, I think, you know, she she's probably the most frequent question asker during budget yeah. hearings. Um, she asks, this, you know, every department the same question for the same documents. Um, and I don't know. I think I don't know what her future is, but I don't think we we're done, you know, hearing from her, or seeing her around. What do you think she'll be remembered most for? Um. You know, last Friday, I kind of took a look back at, you know, recent um, legislation that she sponsored. And she was, this seems like a long time ago, but she was the lead sponsor on the uh, CPAC, Civilian Oversight um, Legislation. And she's also, you know, with, she's also a group, part of a group of older women, black older women who are urging for the passage of the Antoinette Young Ordinance, which would ban no-knock warrants. And so I think, I don't know, she's, she. You know, she's part of the Progressive Caucus. and 24 years. He's a pusher. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of things. Um, And and Tom Tunney, did we talk about this, that he's already endorsed a candidate to replace him? Bennett Lawson. Bennett Lawson. His longtime chief of staff. His longtime chief of staff. Mm -hmm. I actually heard from somebody 
before Christmas, who was at a, a tiny Christmas party. This is before he announced, and this, this lobbyist was there and called me up and said, man, Bennett was working the room at that Christmas party. I don't know what this means, but I, I, I wonder. It <laughs> wow, seems, it all the way back like then? It Even seems then. like he's setting up to, you know, he, to reminding people, and, and Tony is helping remind people in this room at this party how important Bennett has been to the ward over the past decade plus. One alderman is calling for the city council to be cut in half. What is Ray Lopez proposing, Aaron? Yeah, so this was part of kind of a big, I don't know, I don't even know if we should call it a, a package that uh, Raymond Lopez, alderman of the 15th Ward, who's running for mayor, um, introduced earlier this week. And one, yes, he's he wants the city council to be cut from 50 aldermen to 25 aldermen. This is this is not a new idea, um, and it doesn't always it, it hasn't really picked up. Hasn't gone anywhere because um, yeah. who wants to you know vote themselves out of office that doesn't make sense. <laughs> um, but this is part of he's calling for a city charter um, which would you know essentially serve as a constitution and direction for how the city makes decisions and who's making the decisions um, but he's not the only person who's calling for this nor is he you know from what I've from people who I've talked to the first person to have this idea um, former inspector general Joseph Joe Ferguson um, has kind of been laying the groundwork for research on what it would look like for the city to have a new charter. Um, and so, you know, there there are a few candidates in, in the, or, you know, potential candidates in the mayoral race who, who want this to happen, and they say it'll serve, you know, help provide checks and balances on, mm-hmm. on city government uh, between legislative and executive branch. But, um, you know, others are calling for it to be more uh, citizen-led, where... Lopez is kind of already saying what he wants this commission to I see. decide or <laughs> find. Plus, you, you know, throw in there, chop chop the number of aldermen in half. Yeah. <laughs> Just minor detail. How do you think, Kimberly, that voters will respond to Lopez's proposal? I, I don't know. I mean, we had him on. We went through all of his proposals. He's also proposing that city council have their own budget committee, like they'll be able to overlook all of the departments and um, on their own. So not just have departments come to them, but they'll be able to look at how the budget should be changed. They'll have their own corporate council as well, which is something that a lot of people have asked for, um, that, that, that city council not just have to rely on the mayor's corporate council, uh, parliament, new parliamentarian, so that the mayor is not the last and final word when running the, the actual um, floor action and during city council. Uh, I, I don't know. I think that the city, uh, it, so many people are so disengaged. Okay. So yeah. at this point, I don't know how they will react, but many do want change. They want to see something change so that their communities, if they think that their communities will benefit from it. Uh, a lot of this stems from, believe it or not, when Laquan McDonald um, was killed and mm. the the city council passed through the the five what was it, $5 million measure right away uh, to give to the family. And there was very little discussion about it. And then later on, they said, oh, well, we didn't really know. We we just took the word of corporate counsel. Mm. And that's something that is inexcusable yeah. at this point. Issues involving police made headlines this week, Aaron. Mayor Lightfoot announced her picks for the city's first ever civilian police oversight board. The most important steps that we can take in bringing peace lasting peace and safety to our communities is by getting the community involved and engaged and feeling like they've got a stake. 
that their voices are no longer going to be ignored, that they have a role in shaping what community safety looks like. Exactly what kind of power will this commission have? Yeah, the, this commission is going to have, uh, you know, pretty a, a good amount of power. Um, they're going to be able to, um, you know, affect policy that the police department uh, adopts. And they're also going to be able to take, um, you know, votes of no confidence in the superintendent, in the head of the um, COPA office and the, the, uh, the I think maybe the police board. That's not my notes. But um, <laughs> so this is a citywide commission and there are seven, um, you know, finally the mayor chose seven people to be on this um, commission. This has kind of um, seen a lot of delays since Alderman approved this ordinance um, in July of last year. Um, that ordinance had set January 1st as the day that this commission was supposed to be chosen and, and working and up and running and in place. Um but kind of right off the bat, there were delays in, in Alderman, who um, they were supposed to send the mayor a list of names, and she was to pick from those names, and that was supposed to be done by d- December 1st. Um, applications hadn't even gone out by then. Oh, wow. um, so they are, I mean, they're really going to have to hit the ground running. And um, who are these seven people that she year. picked? Um, so they're, they're a mix of people. Um, you know, they, I don't have their names in front of me, but four of them, notably four of them, are were involved in um, the Empowering Communities for Public Safety Coalition, which gotcha. is kind of pushing for police reform um, for a while. Um, and they, by design, they have to be chosen from different areas of the city. Um, you know, a certain number from the north side, the south side, and the west side. Um, another requirement is that, you know, I think what at least one person has to be between a certain age, they need to be younger, um, I think between 18 and, you know, younger than 30. Okay. Um, so, so their work began yesterday. Um, they, you know, the first thing they're going to have to do is review the police department's uh, budget proposal for next year. And um, that'll be interesting. They'll weigh in, probably provide, you know, analysis and, um yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see what kind of work they do and what kind of recommendations they, they come up with, um, especially because they're, you know, their office staffers, city staffers for this yeah. um, commission are supposed to be all in place at this point, but there are four. It's another legacy of what happened to Laquan McDonald. I mean, I don't think that that young 17-year-old boy ever knew what his life was going to mean um, when people were really taking a look at how black and Latino people were being treated by police and how there were, there have been several iterations of, for example, this, this group will decide who leads COPA. COPA is just an iteration of IPRA, which was office of professional responsibility. So, and, and they never found a police officer liable for any type of misuse of force. So they're going to get to fill spots on the police board They'll get to, like she said, make the recommendations for a super. They'll do the search for superintendent. Um, and it's a very diverse, I'm looking at the names. I know a couple of the people, but a very okay. diverse group um, trying to reflect what the original mission was. What are your listeners saying about this police oversight board? Are they aware? Yeah, I'm, well, not really, because there was so much discussion about it. And there were warring factions <laughs> about who's oversight board and as a matter of fact it left me confused i'm not even sure who finally won out but i do know that there will be an election 
coming up. This will be a part of the next city municipal elections. This will be the first time that people can have their name on a ballot Mm -hmm. to actually run for something like this. So this is another major change from 2000, what started in 2014. So this this commission, though, Kimberly, it's seen as the, the first step towards civilian oversight of the police department. How do you think this is going to play out for Lightfoot leading up to the election? Well, um, it's under her administration that it got soft. <laughs> well, not soft. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like, like that is finally so happening. Like Checkmark. This is something that she she came from Office of Professional. What was it called? First, whatever that first office was. That was one of her first appointments with the city of Chicago. She came in to help fix that. She was on the police board at one point. Yeah. But but like notably, you heard her saying this is a big step. But there were there were lots of activists who wanted this wanted this board to have a lot more power than -hmm. it's going to. So she she was not willing to let them pick the police superintendent. There were people who wanted them to be able to fire the police superintendent. And she she this thing got stalled for over a year after she took office because she was getting pushed by aldermen and activists who said, we want to be it. We want way more power for the civilian board. And she said, no, the buck's got to stop with me and it's my job and blah, blah, blah. So we ended up with this, but she's got to wear the jacket for this sort of compromise. I won't call it a half measure, but like this is clearly a compromise. Now, does it go far enough for these folks too far for these folks? She's mm-hmm. got, she's got police supporters on this side who are going to be angry at her that there's any kind of oversight. And she's got she's got a lot of community activists on this side who say this doesn't have any real power. But think about this. The people who are going to serve on this, now they're going to wear the jacket for a lot of this stuff, too. That. Yeah. That so, so they ask for this. Be careful what you ask for right. because, you know, they're you in the You might just seat. get it. Yeah. Right. Aaron, police reform advocates, they urged residents to run for positions on 22 new district councils also involved with civilian police oversight. What power would those councils have? So these councils, they're, yeah, they're, it's three members per each uh, of the 22 police districts. And yes, uh, Chicagoans will directly elect these people next year. um, And they're going to basically interface with the community and the police department and kind of take back or, you know, be that kind of go-between between community members and the police department in the city saying this is this is what we're seeing. We have our eyes on the ground and um, this is what we're seeing and hearing. This is, you know, this policy is working. This policy isn't working. Um, they're also going to be, so this is just the interim citywide commission. Yeah. These district councils, councilors are going to be the ones who uh, propose people to be on the um, permanent Citywide I commission as well. So I'm glad you're keeping track of all this. I know it's um so it's confusing. a lot. Uh, so I could draw like a web, probably. Yeah. Really, um, right. you got like a spreadsheet. Or- yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you think, Kimberly, that these civilian police oversight efforts might repair this damaged relationship that we know exists with police in some communities? It could be a step, but at a the step. end of the day, you're still talking about a police force that does not reflect the makeup, the ethnic makeup of this city. You're very hard-pressed to find many African-Americans in any of these classes um, and who actually live in these communities and and raise their children in, in these communities and help make these communities safer. So there are some systemic fault lines all around. I think it, it, it goes part of the way, but not all the not way. Not all the way. No. 
John, Tuesday, uh, Police Superintendent David Brown announced this new time off policy for, mm-hmm. for officers. What are the details there? Um, it's it's the the specifics are that you you can't take away time off uh, after officers have worked a certain amount of days. And the idea being that uh, there's been a lot of pressure on him and a ton of pressure on the mayor uh, from from uh People saying that you you know you work officers ten eleven twelve days in a row they get burned out they can't do their jobs as well and uh, interestingly the mayor very recently said no that's not a problem there's no problem they, they're getting ample time off and 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 defended the, the 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 status quo in that regard but then within days Brown came out with this new policy yeah meant to address it it guarantees at least one day off every week. And a minimum of nine hours off between, between shifts. shifts. Okay. Right. And um, yeah, I think it's also important to note that this new announcement from David Brown came the day after Inspector General Deborah Witzberg published an investigation that found, yes. you know, between I think it was April 1st and May 31st of this year, so very recently, um, almost 1,200 police officers were scheduled to work 11 days in a row. Were you um, surprised by those findings? Yeah, at first I read it and I was like, okay, this, okay. This but then I sense. thought about 11 days in a row, like that is, I mean, doing anything. That's it's the framing of That's it. a lot of days to be working in an intense job, I think. And yeah. Are you surprised, Kimberly? Well, it's the framing of it because we've been hearing for at least a few years now, police officers being very upset about having holidays canceled. But who knew that they are not even allowed a day off. <laughs> I mean, when, when you hear it that way, when, when the inspector general puts it that way, it's shocking considering how high stress level these positions are. So I think that the police, whoever's in charge of their crisis management on this one, they really tried to get out front of it once they heard their, they probably heard, hey, this report is coming. We better come up with something um, because but then that, why did the mayor say like she defended it? Like, but, you know, but they're always going to defend it. They're always going to defend until it until they don't defend it. Until they don't, <laughs> until they don't defend it anymore. That's right. <laughs> Police are still struggling with illegal drag racing. That seems to be picking up speed. Yeah, pardon the pun. Here is what Police Superintendent David Brown had to say: There's video of your car and your behavior, and we won't rest until we bring everyone involved with harming our officers, damaging property, city property, our squad cars, to justice. And we'll prosecute them to the fullest extent of the law. Kimberly, just how are police hoping to put the brakes on this? Well, you know, we've seen the videos. We've seen them since the beginning of summer. Just blatant disrespect of police officers and blatant disrespect of the citizens with the cars doing donuts in the middle of major streets and shooting fireworks and all of that. It culminated, you can say that, oh, with boy. the death of a woman who was visiting the city of Chicago. They're not, they're, the, the, the superintendent is not 100% ready to say it's because of drag racing, but all of the people who witnessed it said that two Corvettes were drag racing, one hit another car, and it 
knocked the car into her and she died the day before her 41st birthday, a visitor to the city. Oh, my goodness. So what they're trying to do is a task force in which there will be heavy fines as well as your car being impounded. But there's a state representative who wants to go further and create felony charges and um, other really strong penalties because it's really it's gotten completely out of hand. Yeah. So they're calling this a caravan task force. And what you're referring to there is Representative uh, LaShawn Ford, who said that's not enough. That's right. Enough. He's he's introduced a bill that would hold drivers accountable. What are the details of his bill? So the details are that it would and, and, and it's a little confusing because he did already pass one piece of legislation um, earlier that was signed into into law. But he said that that was not strong enough. So this one would create um, a class four felony, Mm -hmm. which has a possible prison sentence of one to three years. And then the others who also may engage in violent disturbances, like those who are throwing objects like the fireworks, et cetera, kicking the police cars who are trying to do something about it. They also would get the same charge. And he came to this um, conclusion after he saw on the Eisenhower people blocking the exit to Rush Hospital, Rush Memorial Hospital. This was like last year, wasn't yes, it? Yes, yes. Yeah. And doing donuts and that type of thing, which if, if in the case, it's an emergency. It's a hospital, so there could be an emergency and they would not be able to save someone's life. Nearly 80 asylum seekers, many of them from Venezuela, they arrived from Texas on a bus in Chicago Wednesday night. What's going on? What do we know about these migrants? Well, what we know is that they arrived in Texas, and we know this is a major issue. It's decades, decades in the making um, as far as what to do about people who come from other countries. But in this case, Governor Greg Abbott of Texas placed them on buses. We're not sure whether it was voluntary or not, um, and blamed it on President Biden's inaction to do anything about immigration Like, he can single-handedly solve it. Uh, He has chosen several cities, Washington, D.C., New York, but now he has added Chicago as one of the cities. And Mm -hmm. he says it's based on that inaction. But also, he he threw a lot of shade, in a way, um, by saying it's also because Lightfoot, our mayor, Lightfoot, loves to tout the responsibility of our city to welcome all regardless of legal status. And he also says he's sure that we have the resources in this sanctuary city that has the capacity to serve these individuals. So you said you don't have to go home, but you can go to New York, D.C. or These are the places. And many of those people, when they came to Texas, were actually expecting to be reunited with other family members very close to where they were dropped off. So imagine they're forced on a bus. They have no idea where they're going. But here... The city met them with food, met them with clothing, also made sure they had a shower. And the mayor has said that his treatment of these people is completely 100 percent inhumane and that Chicago will always be a welcoming city. Now, she did also say one other thing. She wishes she could find out how many more people will be coming and so she can be prepared. But that goes to his point. Yeah. (laughs) How he's never prepared and people on these border states are never prepared. Let's hear a little bit from from the mayor on this Texas governor's busing strategy. Shame on Governor Abbott. What he is doing is immoral, unpatriotic, and it defies the values of who we are as Americans. She says, uh, we, quote, will not turn our backs on those who need our help the most. The, uh, the governor is going to continue this busing strategy, isn't he? 
it, it sounds like he is going to continue it. It sounds like this is something that he is able to plant his flag. Who knows what he's looking at in 2024, right? Yeah. We, it's right around the corner. But I will tell you that quite a few of the callers on our show have mentioned this idea that Chicago is a welcoming city and that we're always able to find resources for people who come here. But we've got so many people here who right now are struggling and it, in many cases, there are a lot of reasons why yeah. the, our city government gives that they cannot find the resources to help them. We've got tent cities all around. They are increasing in numbers. They're under CERMAC now. They're under where Harrison is. I mean, just all over. So the, there has to um, the, our audience wants to see some type of balance, especially in some of these communities that have been struggling for a really long time. And everyone says we don't have money to help. That is a very good point. What are your thoughts, John? Like, I mean, what a weird story and just really saddening. So many emotions come up. And, you know, from from the mayor's perspective, I think that she, I'm not, you know, Chicago is a welcoming city. And I believe that that she as as prior mayors and as people in Chicago believe that that we will deal with the, the, these people in a, in a humane way and, and care for them as, as best the city can. But also being able to tee off on Governor Abbott is to her like political red meat, right? Like Mm -hmm. she's like, oh my gosh, right? Put me in front of a microphone Mm -hmm. when I can call Governor Abbott an SOB. Shame. Right, shame. I mean, and and I think that that a lot of people in Chicago uh, who are considering who they're going to vote for for mayor are – uh, you know, we we can, we have different thoughts on 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 how to deal with people, but I think that a lot of there's a lot of uh, uh, you know anger toward Greg, Greg Abbott, and and she saw that as an opportunity to take advantage of of that as well. Did you see the story too, Aaron? Yeah, one thing kind of to add on to that is I, I don't know the direct quote, but she said something along the lines of like I'm happy to take Texas's population and bring it to Chicago, um, and I think you know no. that. You know, she she took digs at at the whole at the whole state and said she it's not you know a place that she would want to live. Um, one thing that I kind of wanted to bring to light was that there is you know the the mayor has spoken about this a lot, but there is also a city council committee on immigrant and refugee rights that has a budget of you know a, a six figure budget for this year, and it's it's not met. Um, this year. Not that that means that the city isn't doing anything to hmm. help these people, but, um, you know, it, it last met last September. And during that meeting, um, you know, several aldermen, including alderwoman uh, Rosanna Rodriguez Sanchez of the 33rd Ward, said, We need to have more regular meetings because I want it like she has refugee resettlement agencies in her ward and she wants to know what's available for. Uh, people before you know before they need it um, mm-hmm. or before it becomes uh, a problem and I think you know that just sh- came to light um, this week when Alderman Ariel Raboyas who chairs the committee you know has not convened this committee to meet despite this being an ongoing issue like, for the he's got, a nice, he's got a nice little budget for that committee though $117,000 this year yeah so he's so got what, a couple people on the payroll yeah you know so Remind us, what kind of help are they getting, Kimberly? I know they're staying at the Salvation Army, right? Yeah, and um, I believe, I, and I could be wrong about this, but I believe there are some churches that have also stepped up. Um, but it's one of those things. Once again, these are undocumented people. They're not going to be able to work. So how does the city support this? 
Um, we had people also during the when we left Afghanistan, they came to the city of Chicago. Um, many different countries, you know, we, we're, we're a welcoming city, we're a supportive city, but how are we doing this? How are we supporting these efforts? And then also, what do we say to other people in countries such as Haiti that have had massive major issues and can't seem to seek asylum here in the United States, even in welcoming cities? Yeah, I want to stick with the mayor for a moment, John, and talk about uh, a story this week, um, how inflation is impacting city politics and the upcoming mayoral election. Just walk us through that. It's just an, influ- an interesting kind of confluence of, of financial and um, political issues. We're going into an election, obviously, and, and the mayor has uh, linked her annual property tax increase to the rate of inflation – which for the past two decades until about right. 18 months ago were, would hover annually around 1%, 2%, 3%, right? So yeah. now uh, it's banging up against the ceiling that she set, which is 5%, mm-hmm. even though inflation would have been like 9% for, for next year. But even a 5% property tax increase going into a, an election year, she would have been really hard-pressed to, 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 to pass that. So she said, oh, we're going to ratchet it back. 5% is too much. We're going to go with 2.5%. But at the same time, this aldermanic pay raise for next year is also tied to inflation, but it doesn't even have a ceiling on it. So they're looking at 10% pay Good raises boy. for next year. And so you've got aldermen who really want to give themselves 10% pay of raises. Course. Some of them are trying to give themselves the pay raise and then not have to run again so mm-hmm. that their pensions will reflect the 10% pay raise, but they won't have to get killed by voters for giving themselves this pay raise. But it's really hard for the mayor to say, all right, I need 26 of you to, on the one hand, give yourself a 10% pay raise and also jack up property taxes on Chicagoans, almost none of whom will get a 10% pay raise, and then run for re-election yeah. on that. So she's she's trying to kind of balance all this out and find people who will support her. But as we discussed earlier, she won't really horse trade for votes on the council. She can try to now, but it's not something she's ever done, which is why she has kind of a rocky relationship with a lot of aldermen to start with. So it's just a, it's a really difficult needle to thread for her where she's going to say, please join me in doing this really unpopular thing while you're doing another unpopular thing that benefits you, and then you're going to have to go in front of voters and let them... That's a lot. My head hurt just listening to them back and forth. Like, how much percent and who gets 10 and who... Yeah, yeah. So speaking of elections, Chicago's going to have fewer voter precincts in the next election. So what impact will that have on voting in Chicago, Erin? Yeah, so this is... They're shrinking the number of voter precincts by, I think it's about 40%. Um, And, uh, you know, the Board of Elections, this is not something new that they're doing. They also shrunk the number of precincts after the 2010 um, census and and remap. But um, and I don't know, you know, I don't really think about my voting precinct. I just know the location of (laughs) where it is. You don't think about Um, your voting precinct? (laughs) But Aaron, you know, so we had on the a person from Chicago Board of Elections and I Ask beside the political purpose that precincts used to serve, right? What is the purpose of a precinct? And I still don't know if I got an and answer to that. And I've asked this to multiple people. Like, okay, tell me what is the precinct doing? Now? Like, what 
Why? Why? Yeah. Well, like, right. is this good or is this... This decrease, though, is it impacting any specific neighborhoods more than others? So all every ward is going to see a decrease in the number of precincts, some more than others. Um, and I let's think, make sure we're all on the same page. What's the difference between a voting precinct and a polling place? So there are more um, voter voting precincts than there are polling places. Okay. The, the polling, polling places, places will have multiple precincts yes. come and vote. And one of those wards, which is consistently the highest voting ward, which is the 19th mm-hmm. ward, they were going to be cut in half. Then I think they have like 50 precincts. And it, it was estimated that they were trying to cut it in half. And I think he was able to negotiate to, to have like 36 instead of so obviously he sees a benefit to there being more precincts than fewer. I see. And you were talking about neighborhoods. Yeah. And this could like one way this could affect voters is this could, you know, the number of polling places will probably go down. The um, Board of Elections said it's going to stay. It's going to be similar. I don't know what that means. And that's not finalized yet. But, you know, your, you know, I don't know, 75 year old resident who has been voting at the same polling place for decades, um, if that changes or if it becomes farther away because you have fewer polling places, they're farther. They're some are going to be farther away from voters. Um, Will those people go out and vote? Will it be enough of an inconvenience for them? But at the same time, the way people are voting is changing. People are voting early. People are voting by mail. Um, and so you don't have as many people showing up to the polls on election day. That is true. But Dr. Um, Willie Wilson, though, who is a mayoral candidate, yes, he's speaking he, out. He feels like this will be disenfranchisement. To your point, it's called voter suppression. And and some of us have already, when we just voted in this primary, um, had our polling locations changed. So he he is suing the Chicago Board of Elections because of this reduction in precincts. Kimberly, sticking with you for a moment and switching gears, I want to get an update on, uh, which seems like I've been doing this every week lately, Mm -hmm. R&B singer R. Kelly. Oh, goodness. Well, he has decided that he will not be testifying. The prosecution has rested, and it was salacious testimony. Mm -hmm. Um, They, of course, replayed video, and they probably had additional video of what were sex acts, alleged sex acts between him and minor girls. So we know that this has been an odyssey. This has gone on for a long time. He beat beat other charges successfully um, over 20 years ago. Um, but now many of those people who were involved in that trial have said they lied. They were paid to lie. Um, in one case, a uh, young woman, she would have been about 14 at that time. She and her entire family were sent on a vacation to get away from what was happening here. Wow. You're hearing um, uh, testimony from parents who said, I confronted him and he told me you're either with me or against me. And then the parents didn't do anything else and they took money. So he's already gotten convicted and has 30 years. If he's convicted in this trial, there will be more years and it's conspiracy, it's child pornography. There are uh, other two other co-defendants, one who will testify, one who has d- decided not to testify. Yeah. But it's so interesting that this had to go Hollywood, literally had to go Hollywood before people took these young ladies seriously and finally did something about this. We're almost out of time, but I do want to look ahead to next week and just kind of see what you folks are keeping an eye on. I'll start with you, Aaron. Um, yeah. So in addition to election season, we're coming up on budget season for the city. Yay! Um, <laughs> fun! All the fun at once. Um, so I'm kind Can't of wait. looking, yeah, 
neither can I. <laughs> um, <laughs> You'll be the one crunching the numbers, not yeah, me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, listening to all these questions that aldermen have. But um, I'm looking to see what the different um, city council caucuses are going to prioritize this year and also touching on something uh, that we talked about before, how the property tax goes, property tax hike goes over and what, you know, alternative proposals aldermen can, can muster up to try yeah. and fill that gap some other way. Real quick, Kimberly, what are you looking at? So on our afternoon show, we have been the first stop for almost every person who has declared to run for mayor. So we are looking forward to another person. We are hearing that there may be someone. And I can't say. Oh, come on. Because <laughs> it's September now, and I was assured that this person was probably going to throw his or her hat into the ring. We're looking to see. We, they come on. They talk about what it is they want to do. They even take calls. So it's a very interesting oh, nice. interaction. But we, we're just really trying to see who has the best path toward this office. We'll have to tune in and see. And, John, 10 seconds or less. Uh, COVID shots. We get these All new right. shots next and week. And we'll leave it there. <laughs> that is Chicago Tribune's John Byrne, Aaron Hegarty of the Daily Line, and WBON's Kimberly Agoin. Thank you all. A pleasure. Thank you. Have a good weekend. Today's recap was produced by Andrea Guffman and mixed by Marie Mendoza. Stick with this podcast for the week's other top stories. We drop a new episode every weekday afternoon and sometimes on the weekends too. Plus, you can now watch the weekly news recap on the WBEZ Facebook and YouTube pages. Go check it out. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thank you so much for spending your time with us and have a great weekend.